everybody and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here and I'm joined by Don as usual. And today we have returning guest Freddie back to talk some more theological questions with us. Uh, but first I actually wanted to pose a, uh, a little question to, to Fred. Um, so he's from New Zealand and Don's from Canada. So I was just wondering if he felt that there was a similarity between the relationship between Canada and the United States and New Zealand and Australia. I think a lot of people kind of have maybe had this thought before. New Zealand and Canada are both smaller than their counterparts. Um, but I was kind of noticing some other similarities. I think they both have problems with vowel sounds. And <laughs> I also think that there's a kind of like sitcom wife to the, you know, like the bumbling husband, you know, so like uh, smarter sort of like a little bit of a superiority complex kind of carries the moral weight, but ultimately it's like the, uh, they're just like a supportive kind of role. You know, I don't know. What do you think of that? God, there's a lot to address there, but, uh, I would actually suggest that, um, the superior, cause I, New Zealand does have what you might think is a superiority complex, but like many inferiority complexes, it's, it's, I mean, it's really an inferiority complex, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and we compensate for that by trying to uh, make ourselves look better than we actually are. Um, and I assume Canada doesn't do this, but during the Olympics, the New Zealand Herald will always publish a per capita medal table, a medal, a medal table adjusted you know, to the, the size of the country because it always makes it look like New Zealand does better. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we don't. Um, yeah, not in Canada. Canada actually is pretty good for medals, especially uh, in the Winter Olympics. So you can't complain. Yeah, I sat next to some Canadian ice hockey players once on a flight, mm -hmm. and uh, we had a good chat. And I told myself, you know, I'm not going to uh, say something like, "Oh, well, we're both uh, from Commonwealth countries, huh?" You know, uh, I, I, I told myself I wasn't going to do that, and I inevitably did, and felt awful about it. But, uh, <laughs> God save the queen, eh, lads? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's um, one way you can uh, tell that there's a similarity there is if you look at photos from World War One and World War II, uh, we're wearing the same uniforms. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the way a lot of people understand the similarity. Because mm -hmm. uh, there's, uh, I mean, one of the things I think is similar is... Um, with, I mean, with Commonwealth countries in general, is that uh, we're really into commemorating the First World War. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, true. That's Americans, here. like, it doesn't... I, I don't think it really registers... Like, World War II is the one that counts for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In yeah. Canada, it's all like our nation was, you know, forged in fire at Vimy Ridge and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like Vimy Ridge and Passchendaele were the two. Sure. But uh, the, the Passchendaele one, uh, I, I always remember because the New Zealanders, the New Zealand division was relieved by the Canadian division who went on to win the battle, you know, to the extent you could even win a battle in 1917. Sure, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the, uh, I would say that like one of the differences between like the Australia, New Zealand, Canada, United States relationship is that um like australia genuinely is a terrible country 
Whereas <laughs> I, I think, you know, you couldn't necessarily say that about the United States. The United States is too complex. Australia is just um, an extremely, it's a country full of ignorant, brutal people who have had it too good for too long. You know, <laughs> okay. They think they can, they, they think they can sustain their lifestyle by just like digging minerals out of the ground forever. But, you know, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're going to have well, to sell I mean, out to the yeah. Chinese. Yeah. There's a lot of that in Canada too, though. <laughs> I mean, we've got like you know, <laughs> right. natural resources, the oil sands and all that stuff and whatnot. But, yeah. 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 I've, I've noticed um, sometimes, um, like in New Zealand, New Zealand, uh, you know, self-identified socialists will talk about, you know, the New Zealand working class. And I think the idea is that there's meant to be a Marxist. <clears throat> this is meant to be somehow kind of like advanced Marxist analysis. But uh, New Zealand never really had a proletariat. We were um, we were a country of farmers who then became a country of uh, like bankers and tech startup guys mm-hmm. with with really nothing in between. Whereas sure. Australia uh, Australia had a manufacturing industry. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think ultimately New Zealand is just too small. New Zealand's really too small to sustain a, a comparison, and Canada is too large. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I got one more question before we kind of get onto the the real the real like uh, meat of the episode. Uh, I've been kind of saying this to myself like ever since we kind of arranged to have you on as a guest. But how would you pronounce the? Uh, how how do I say this without kind of giving it away? So. Your country has like initials, right? Like, so USA for America, uh, CA for Canada. What are they for New Zealand? Um, in NZ. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I keep going. I've been walking around going, Freddy from NZ. <laughs> <laughs> I really had like the overwhelming sense that I was walking into a trap just then. Sure. <laughs> well, I kind of set it, that up. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it had something to do with being a Nazi, like NZ Nazi. I don't know. I've right. Right. That. Right. Oh, that's so, a yeah. good one. People, yeah, people, people don't that. know this, but ANZAC stands for Australia Nazi Corps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm glad you're a Z nation. So, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Canada. It's um, it's rare. You know, it's it gives us a lot of our pride comes from the fact that we have a a Z in our name. Sure. Yeah, I I do kind of like Z, like in comparison sure. to Z. Although mm-hmm. Z seems like the natural way to say it, and Z sounds like you're trying to be too cute with it or something. <laughs> but okay, you need a consonant on the end. You need a consonant on the end, or otherwise you feel there's just this um you know, like this eternal vowel that just, just hangs there, you know? You well, but to... you don't go a bed said, you know what I mean? Like all the other letters are happy to kind of do it that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I couldn't have been expected to find the coherent justification for it just off the top of my head, but I think I'd <laughs> <Sure. pretty good. laughs> okay. maybe being the end of the alphabet, you kind of need like a conclusive end, sure. like yeah. Zed. Like there Fiend. you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. we we use it interchangeably, really. I mean, uh, American, oh, yeah? Amer- Americanisms really did infiltrate, you know, New Zealand and, and you know Australian culture. There's a lot of, I mean, for instance, before we started recording, I referred to cilantro, which is not the uh, Commonwealth way of of saying it. Um, in fact, I've actually forgotten what. 
New Zealanders normally call it. I've just been calling it cilantro for so long. Oh, I didn't even coriander. Know that. Yeah, is it coriander? Yeah, coriander. There we go. For some reason, I have a I have a um, a mental block with the word coriander. It's like once I've called it cilantro, I will I will not be able to remember that I meant to call it coriander. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. But well, I think that's makes, American TV. Like, I, yeah. Yeah. Coriander is uh, I don't know. Coriander is the dried stuff, and cilantro is the fresh stuff. I kind of like that system because they taste different. Yeah, that's a very that's a sort of uh, there's a lot of there's a, there's empirical meat to that distinction. I like it. Yeah, of course it doesn't really it's not consistent doesn't carry through to other things but i'll take it <laughs> well do you have any other questions about new zealand because um i think my answers have been pretty good so far <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah i don't know you, you got any form done no i think we'll get into the, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the serious part sure yeah okay so uh we were going to talk about the problem of evil this is a topic that i think um i don't know i feel like we're due for discussing this it's kind of popped up here and there on previous episodes but it certainly deserves an episode of its own and um, this is something that freddie's been thinking about maybe writing about as well yeah a little bit of writing about it i'm gonna have to do a lot more writing about it but um uh because i, I see that it's i'm uh, going to probably become a a pretty centrally important part of a thesis that I'm writing. Um, but uh, just in case, you know, people listening to this hear me speak on the subject and think this guy's actually incredibly ignorant, please understand that I'm only just starting to try and wrap my head around it. Um, because especially when you're thinking about the concept of evil in connection with religious traditions, I think it's very easy to put your foot wrong. Um, Mm-hmm. with it um although in a secular context um in a, like a non-religious context i think it's, it's like you know it's virtually impossible to say anything sensible about evil um hmm. so but yeah the um i mean the problem of evil is a very it's a central issue in philosophy because um it's generally um, agreed that one of the strongest arguments against the existence of, uh, of God um, is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a logical argument from evil, which is to say the existence of evil is logically inconsistent with a God who is powerful enough um, and, you know, perfectly good, all-powerful, you know, omnipotent, omnipresent, omnibenevolent. Um, it's just logically inconsistent for evil to exist if, if that being... Uh, also exists. Um, the, uh, I mean, the logical, the logical argument runs into technical problems, I think. But there's a sort of a softer argument which says it's just very unlikely that uh, God, uh, the, 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 uh, an omnipresent, omnipotent, etc., God will exist um, if evil exists. Uh, given that evil exists, it's very unlikely that God exists. Um, and this is, I don't know. I mean, that that question that philosophers have been debating for a very long time is, I mean, part of the reason why I think it gives people a headache is that it assumes the, the existence of a particular kind of God, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, like a personal God who is an agent and who can intervene in history. And I don't know. I, I feel, I feel like this is a, 
this is a concept you need to get clear on before you even start talking about evil. Sure. Um, because, you know, I mean, who is it a problem for? And I think the question can get bogged down in kind of a, you know, like a point scoring match between, uh, you know, atheist, philosoph uh, atheist philosophers and religious philosophers. And you can sort of like lose sight of the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, the bigger picture is um, like this, the, the, the real question here is how is evil salient for religion? Um, mm -hmm. And it's not it's not salient as a logical problem or an empirical problem. I mean, I think it's true that one of the reasons, um, one of the central tasks of religion is to help people cope with evil. In fact, I think uh, Aquinas even sort of jokingly suggested that the existence of evil is proof of the existence of God, which, you know, gives you a sense of the, you know, the importance of this concept in religion. Mm -hmm. Um, and it would be, be odd if this thing that religion is meant to help us deal with is also the thing that, you know, is meant to disprove some of its most central tenets. Yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like, it's, I mean, to me, it feels like a, a question that isn't really going to get an answer. And it, it, in fact, you know, the, the traditional problem of evil doesn't even really seem like the most uh, important question. I mean, a, I mean, a more important question from the point of view of religion, I think, is what, um, what is evil? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what, what function does it play in history and God's plan and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and there are so many, I mean, the, 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 uh, the accounts that you can give from a religious perspective are various. Um, and I think this is much more interesting than the, the narrow sort of philosophical, logical, logical problem of evil. Sure. Yeah. So what, I mean, what I, well, I think a good way of understanding what evil evil is from a, a you know a religious point of view is, I mean, whatever evil is, um, it is what it, it is what religion is promising to save us from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not. I so, mean, in one sense, that's not like that helpful because you know you you obviously are going to want to know then know what it is religion saves us from. But I feel like that's not a bad framework for thinking about it. No, yeah, I agree because. Um, you know, that can be evil within yourself. That can be like kind of tragic accidents that happen in the world. It can be evil that someone else does to you, you know, all this kind of stuff. I yeah. think that that makes sense. Yeah, it's generally, I mean, my, I think the way it's generally used in sort of everyday language is it's something which describes actions, right? Intentionality seems to be quite central to it at least in, in, in a common understanding. But I, I tend, I think that um, I, you have to also be able to talk about natural evil. Mm -hmm. I think at least, at least from a religious point of view, suffering, I think, I mean, suffering is a, is a fact of human existence, which I think you're going to have to grapple with when you're talking about evil. I think the, the fact of human suffering, the fact that life is, you know, a veil of tears, uh, is why it was important for humans to have the concept and why it was important, why it's important for religion to, to at least attempt to define very clearly what evil is. Mm -hmm. um, what is, what would, what would the Muslim um, perspective be, Tom? I mean, as a, as a, as a, as a Muslim, how do you, how would you think about the concept? Sure. So 
I'm just thinking how to start with this. So there's sort of like, uh, there's a few different schools of thought on this. Um, the Ashari position is kind of the dominant one. So it, it's actually, I think, somewhat similar to the Catholic idea, or at least the uh, like Thomas Aquinas and what he says about it. So good and evil are um, are not inherent qualities. Like they, they aren't uh, essential. They They are just defined by God as being good or evil in an almost arbitrary sort of sense and not exactly arbitrary but you get what I'm saying like it's it they're evil things are evil because God says they're evil things are good because God says they're good but it's also the case that God has um has not allowed himself to actively will evil into existence in a sense or I shouldn't say into existence but he hasn't so to to be good is to manifest or reflect God's qualities, like the divine names of God, right? So to be merciful, to be just, all that kind of good stuff. Um, to be evil is to to do the opposite, which is like to have a lack of those things. So to to act with a lack of the, those divine qualities, even in the most minute sense, right? So to act without justice, without mercy, etc. Um, so, um, there's also an interesting point in Arabic, which is that, um, in Arabic, the, the word for evil that's used is also the word for, uh, like neediness, like extreme poverty or, or a lack of something. So Mm -hmm. there's like a kind of a innate connection. Um, just looking at the word of it, I guess we're doing that thing you were talking about (laughs) of just, well, let's just define terms, but. Um, I, I do think that kind of helps like frame the the way that you can look at this where where God is the um, is like the font of of life and like of good things, but he's also like the ultimate creator of of everything. So in a sense, you could say that he is allowing evil, but he's not creating it if that kind of makes sense. does that does that? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, that? that for me, the uh, the central uh, you know the central idea is that uh, evil is not substantial it doesn't it doesn't uh, it you know, mm. it's an ontology so what you, what you've got is an ontology of evil it, it doesn't uh, evil is the is a lack of something I mean this is this is how I find this is this is how I understand the concept of evil that's central to Christian and Jewish and uh, you know Islamic worldviews uh, I mean I was interested to hear you say that because that's the sort of the religious conception of evil that uh, you know I got from Aquinas. So it's 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 interesting that it's um, that uh, it's uh, Islam has a a similar view. Yeah, I mean, I think there there's a lot of um, kind of borrowing and um, you know back and forth between. Um, like Christian thinkers and Muslim thinkers and maybe not directly, like it wasn't necessarily the case that like Aquinas was sitting down with like Ibn Sina or something and hashing these things out. But, you know, the people were writing books and people are reading them and translating them and these ideas kind of float around and, um, and it, it's all rooted like ultimately just like the, the way that these things are thought through, it kind of goes back to like Greek philosophy and stuff. So yeah, it goes back know, to Aristotle because if right. you've got, if you've got uh, an idea of um, uh, the end that uh, 
uh, the, the you know the talos of a of a particular kind. You know, so what what is the the talos of a, of a human being? What is the end of a human? The the, the the what was it? What was a human being created to be? Um, and you get from Aristotle this idea of uh, you know uh, eudaimonia you know, or eudaimonia of flourishing. Um, and you know, I think it's you you could fit this very easily into a theistic worldview because um, you can talk about well, what kind of creatures did God create us to be? Um, and uh, religion gives us a vision of the kind of you know the kind of creatures we could be. That is to say, the kind of the kind of creatures God created us to be. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, sort of anything that um, inhibits us becoming those creatures. Uh, or um, is a is a is a lack of uh, that good that flourishing anything that is a lack of that good or that flourishing is an evil. Um, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense yeah. in terms of like y you can you can see that very clearly in the re in the religions that came later. You know, yeah. and what what I what's interesting about this to me because you know I I, I only started encountering these ideas quite uh, quite recently and I, I would say that the general view of evil i mean if you were to ask someone um if you were to ask random people about it um you would generally you know what if you were to ask them what is evil the kind of responses you'd get would typically be either uh, evil is very 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 bad suffering or evil is um an action which inflicts suffering that is very, very, very bad. So evil is just an intensifier of bad. Mm -hmm. Or you'd get something like, well, evil is a religious idea which says there are demons in the world. Right? Evil is a evil is an inherent force. But what what this view of evil suggests is that there's no you can't have an inherently evil being. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a yeah. it's it's a doctrine of evil. Which is and and so the uh, if you were I, I think Scott scholars of Aquinas would call this the doctrine of evil um, as privatio boni as privation of the good, right? Where good is a is a religious concept. You know, it's it's the um, uh, a kind of like a religious understanding of that Aristotelian concept of eudaimonia, which you know, I think I, Aquinas at least I think did important to Christian thinking about this. Um, and and but that's 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 uh, it's it's it seems to me to be perfectly reconcilable with a naturalistic worldview. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to necessarily have some sort of like spiritual quest aspect of it or something to think that evil is just uh, some sort of deficiency or something instead of some sort of uh, force or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think this is. Um, I don't know. This seems like a, a a deep fact about the religious view of evil. To me. Um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, but uh, and I, I guess if you're wanting to be pedantic about it, you would you would have to say something like evil is a lack of the good that ought to be realized. Because mm -hmm. um, sure, yeah. And then you think, well, what are the ways that evil can oppose good? It can be an obstacle to good. It could be just a mere lack. Um, mm -hmm. Or it could actively go against the good. It can actively oppose the good, and it's mm -hmm. this active opposition to the good, yeah. which um, is generally and and I think common understandings of it. It's this active opposition to the good, which is typically which would which would get most traction, and uh, you know in the um, in in a person's ordinary 
in, an, in, in a person's ordinary use of evil, it's it's this act of opposition to the good, which would mm-hmm. which they likely favor. But it's you know the the idea that just a, a, a mere lack of it can be called evil on this view, um, if it ought to be realized, is um, gives you gives you a picture of evil which is you know not inconsistent with the secular worldview, but is sort of outside people's ordinary usage of the term. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I think it's yeah. better than ordinary usage because what you know, if you if you have a if you if you if you're just using evil to say something's very 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 bad, then you know it's sort of like a a concept that loses its meaning. You know, it's it's taken out of the religious concept which gave it its its you know its its force. It's you know it's like a popsicle that's had all the flavor sucked out of it. You know, it's like oh, <laughs> evil is just very 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 bad. It's not you know it's it's a word you don't need. Um. I think yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I think that with uh, this whole side of things, though, like the the what's salient about it for Christians is the uh, like the whole debate around justification or something like that. Like, so it's not like the the evil uh, at different moments in life. I mean, that's that's like you know, it might be something that you're like, why does this exist? This is like kind of woe is me kind of thing. But there's also that whole. Like it has to look at the whole historical arc of a person's life and like of the universe and all this stuff of like, you know, what is my role in that? And then you get into all the stuff about free will pretty quickly too, where it's like, well, okay, well, if God created that person, then they created the conditions for them to do that act or whatever. And also that, you know, if God has a plan, which he necessarily must have if he's omnipotent and and, uh, omnipotent, then it's like, you know, is why, you know, what's the difference between creating conditions of autonomy uh, when you're creating every single particular aspect of how they make that choice and the decision to make that choice and that choice really in that person. Um, So I don't know, it does get, I think it is one of those things where you get pretty quickly to a sort of unsatisfactory kind of end of, you know, how does this apply then to the idea of judgment and stuff like that, because it's like, it, it, it sort of makes sense at some level, like, you know, like just in, in very basic human terms, it's like, okay, well, you can just kind of, you know, if you're going to be judged for something, you have to be good. So that's, that, that's fine. But when it gets into like religious terms and stuff, it's like, yeah, then it, it ends up coming back to again and again, you know, what does God want from us? Like, that's the question at that point. And if, yeah. if I think that in both Islam and in Christianity, the, and, and, and Judaism, you know, at least, like, the very, very basic end-of-the-day answer for that is uh, either something around, like, well, you know, something about maybe love in general or something like that kind of thing, and and respect of God or something like that. Uh, or it kind of ends up, really, I mean, a lot of the time just being like, well, we don't know kind of thing, you know, like, it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. We don't, because we would never presume to know what God wants of us kind of thing. Is that that idea? You know what I mean? Like, in terms of, mm-hmm. in terms of like, his overarching plan. Because, uh, I mean, that's that's obviously a big debate in itself. It's like, you know, why would God need to create something? You know, it, number one, creating something that's deficient from our perspective or something like that, right? Uh, why wouldn't they just, you know, like if it's an educative process, why do you need education if you could just instantly educate something, you know? One of the one of the responses to this, which I actually don't like all that much, I, I, mean, I don't like all that much, is that uh, God has to obey logical rules, right? Uh, and yeah. <laughs> I, 
yeah, it's it's <laughs> if you're if you're a clever philosopher, you can make this work. But I think the right answer is the answer Tom just gave, which is a kind of a a laugh. You know, the laugh which says that isn't that isn't enough. Um, yeah. The, 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 I, I mean, for me, I think all what this what this shows is that you have to give up on the on the idea of um, God as a as a person. I, I, I mean, I don't think it makes you can't you you have to stop thinking about God as a person. I think um, it, it, God isn't someone who acts in the way we act, uh, who doesn't deliberate in the way we deliberate. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I know I know this suggestion is not. Uh, it's not orthodox it's not orthodoxy mm-hmm. but you know i'm not i'm not I, i'm not really formally part of any religion you know i'm uh sure you know if i if i had to put this on my facebook but bi- if i had to like say what i was on my facebook bio it would be still figuring things out sure yeah, yeah. which is free the, agent yeah which is a you know something i always roll my eyes at that uh, i I've, I've you know as i've matured i've had to realize that it applies to me um mm-hmm. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think you can. You can keep the idea of God as a, as a personal, as a personal agent. Um, the. Yeah. I mean, I I disagree. I I think you need to. I well, I I agree on some level and disagree on a on another level. So I I would say that uh, you need to abandon the idea of God as like acting as as just like a like a human put in charge of things. Like he's not just like. A, you know, just a, a, a human being with a really uh, interesting perspective on things and like access to some kind of ability to create stuff, you know, that's, that's not like when we talk about God having like a personality or a personhood or something, I don't think uh, that that's a good way to think about it necessarily. Um, but in terms of like having a personhood, I think that's kind of important important uh, actually like I, I think um understanding him to have um i mean going back to the like the names and stuff he has certain qualities and things it's not just like some kind of um like uh, it's not like a force of gravity where it's just like a a natural force or something like that like on some level i can understand looking at god that way but i don't think that truly um grasps the you know the the thing and and of course the thing with god is you're never really going to truly grasp like the Mm. you know the identity and the like you're never really going to completely understand god or anything but you know i i think it is important to understand that like uh he created things in in a way that kind of reflects himself you know and so it's not just uh some sort of like uh fundamental constant that undergirds the whole universe or something but um he he is active in it you know and he he is sort of um he has crafted things according to his own you know his own qualities i think you do have to keep the idea that he is active in the world yeah yeah i i um i mean even prior to uh you know any like serious investigation of religion the whole concept of like deism seemed like why don't you just kind of give this up? Like, it doesn't seem like your heart truly in it. Like that's, you know, if you're going to believe in God, like just believe in God, you know, why, why are you kind of doing this half in half out stuff? 
no no offense to any deists out there but to me it seems a little bit bizarre no, no offense to like the 20 day the set like the 20 actual deists <laughs> who, uh, who exist. yeah. yeah it's no i mean deism was a kind of uh the that it was like an enlightenment you know uh, an enlightenment attempt to get a different view of god no i i'm on i'm to be honest i'm i'm open to something like a pantheistic view of god but i mean i will point out though that i mean first of all god is very very hard to talk about mm-hmm. uh, seems like an obvious point but you know maybe we should keep that in mind but the other thing is when you call when you refer to god as he you are speaking about god metaphorically well i i'm simply using the terms that he uses for himself but we can only talk about him metaphorically i mean the idea if you were to say well does god have the attributes of a male uh it seems like an odd thing to suggest there's i think there's a general assumption yeah. that when we use terms like this we're speaking metaphorically and I think most of the way we talk about God, in fact, we have to accept that most of the way we've talked about God is, is metaphorical. So when God does this, when, when we talk about God judging, when we talk about God acting in a particular way, we're applying concepts drawn from uh, human life um, yeah. to understand. Yeah, there's, there's um, a thing that Muslims say about this, which is that, you know, for like each of these qualities of God or these names of God, like we say that or if, or if God describes himself as like doing something, seeing things, for example, we'll say that he sees, he, he like explicitly said that he sees, right? So we can't deny that, but he doesn't see the way we see. Or if it says he's all hearing, he hears, but he doesn't hear as we hear, you know? So it's not, it's not the same kind of like, you know, sound vibrations hitting our ear and like that creates sound and we interpret that and, you know, we understand that to be sound. That's not what's happening for God. God is hearing, he's using these words so that we can understand it. Um, what You know, when we hear things, that creates a certain experience for us, right? Like we have a certain experience of hearing things or seeing things or, or whatever, mm-hmm. or, you know, feeling certain emotions or whatever. And um, God has some kind of, experience similar to that but it's not it's not at all the same it's just he's using these terms so that we can kind of understand something on some level you know depending Mm. on whatever he's trying to convey Mm, absolutely yeah and in fact there's you know i think uh this question is addressed most directly in christianity and i'm sorry to any you know theologians or learned you know lay people who are um about to hear me butcher uh my way through an interpretation of something jesus said um i mean general a general apology to theologians and learned people that listen to the podcast (laughs) yeah but uh the you know when um when his disciple when when jesus's disciples asked him why he spoke in parables um his i'm just trying to remember the wording uh he says he says they uh i speak uh i speak in parables because they don't have they have eyes but they don't see they have ears but they don't hear uh how about this one therefore i speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand and in them and in them the prophecy of isaiah is fulfilled which says hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive yeah so the I, I um just googled that i guess it's matthew 
thirteen ten. Okay. So the Jesus citing uh, Isaiah here should be a warning for me not to try and interpret this passage. I think, but I can report my own what you know what thinking about this you know passage has done for me, even if it's um, you know just a, an ironically awful misunderstanding of what he was trying to say. But uh, there's a difference between seeing and seeing, if you know what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. there's a, we have to find yeah. a way to understand something as difficult as the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this is at least, you know, the Christian context. I mean, I think, just, and to bring this back to the conversation about evil, right? If evil is privation of the good, you have to have a very, very clear conception of the good. And I think one mm -hmm. thing that um, religion a religious conception of the good, at least in, you know, the Abrahamic religions, a religious conception of the good is going to be revealed. So we, we have a, it's always going to go beyond a conventional understanding of what is good for human beings. You're not going to be able to, what religion says, and I think, you know, it's one of the reasons why I think I'm a religious person is that you're not going to get, a, uh, you're not going to understand what is good what the what the, the the proper end for a, for a human being is you're not going to like uh fully you, you, what is what is what human flourishing is has to be revealed to us we're not going to get it mm -hmm. by just looking at the world and inf inferring it from our you know empirical experience so i mean the good is both real you have to have a realist conception of the good right so i mean some philosophers suggest that uh, moral language you know that's good and that bad and that's bad is nothing more than the expression of an emotion, right? So if you say that's good, you're saying yay. And if you're saying that's bad, you're saying boo. But there's no more semantic content than that. I mean, you can't have that view if you're religious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, in, in the Quran, yeah. it says like some things are good for you, even though you don't like it. Something along these lines. Some, you know, some things are good for you, even though you do not like it. And some things are bad for, for you, even though you may want it. Something along those lines. Um, so yeah, you can't just rely on your like, your like lower self, you know. Yeah, you have to accept that that the good has been revealed, um, right? Mm -hmm. And but that doesn't require a personal God, I don't think. A, a, you know, a God that has uh, yeah. what we would yeah not not necessarily. Yeah. So we refer to God as He, or we refer to God as a person, and we refer to God as performing actions because we need that language. That's the best understanding we're going to have. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it can sometimes mislead us. Uh, and when we say, why isn't God intervening here to stop this? Um, we've uh, turned him too much into a human. Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. I, I think it's also like a, um, it, it's uh, making certain assumptions about, the world like you know it really depends on the person who's kind of raising the complaint but you know if you're if you're saying that you know that there's a problem here because if god was good he would he wouldn't allow this to happen or something like that um or if if god is good why couldn't he just step in and stop this like if he if he uh if he doesn't it either means that he's not good or it means that he can't in which case he's not really god as yeah. we understand it you know um, I, I think it sort of like assumes that like this world is supposed to be a certain way 
And when it's not that way, that says something about God rather than our understanding of the world, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's um... so, you know, you kind of have to accept, accept the terms that are given to you, right? Like in, uh, in the Abrahamic religions, it's kind of laid out for you in a, you know, the whole, the whole deal is kind of put forth and it's not like you, you can't really just like pick and choose certain parts. It's kind of, uh, you know, it's a package thing. So the idea isn't that God is great and you should worship him and, and, um, you know, and there's heaven and hell and, and then there's this world. You, you can't really like pick those apart, right? Like you have to kind of accept like, yeah, this world isn't heaven and it's not hell either. So the fact that it's not heaven is not really, a, that's not like a valid complaint against God. I don't know. I, I have like such a, like a, this whole thing has always been kind of a non-issue for me personally. Like I've never had a hard time grasping the idea, I think, about like, uh, you know, you have to come to terms with the trials of this world and all this kind of thing. And and so the problem of evil hasn't really um, been something I've personally had to like work through or something like that. But I also think it's it's not like I'm so smart that I figured it out. Yeah. I think it's that I'm too dumb to figure out what the actual issue <laughs> okay, is yeah. so i'm just like i don't know seems to be okay to me and and uh i don't get what the big fuss is but yeah the, there's a i i mean i don't think the problem of evil has ever really made religious people seriously doubt that their mm-hmm. religious commitment is right i mean i'm sure it's it's i mean there there i'm sure it's uh you know i mean i'm not i'm not saying it doesn't happen or that it's not even it's uncommon it's just that i would say that um it's not i i would say your your view is fairly representative tom it's uh in in uh in the in the, in discussions uh, in a philosophical context where you have atheists who think that well, this is, you know, this is a drop dead argument against the existence of God. And if you're a reasonable person, you'll adjust your belief to, you know, the strength of the argument. This, this sort of misunderstands how people think and behave. And, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's also the case that I, I think one of the things that religion needs to do is say very clearly what good and evil is. And in fact, this is one of the reasons that you know, religion exists because there is an existential problem of evil. So, I mean, the philosophical problem is the logical problem or the, the, the intellectual problem of evil. But, but evil is, before it's an intellectual problem, it's an existential problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, like, you can't confuse the two, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, one thing that I, I think is maybe kind of potentially useful in this conversation it like kind of following on this idea is that um you know the question of like well why why kind of even create these conditions where it's unclear why create the conditions where good and evil like where evil is even a possibility why not just kind of have people be perfect from the Mm get-go and it's just good you know and, and that's it you know like kind of like just create people put them in heaven right Mm. Um, yeah so the uh with a very basic like which doesn't i don't know if it really answers the question but i think it does sort of uh i think it informs things a little bit is the idea that well that's what angels are we're not angels we're something else right so 
angels are, are are like perfect servants of God. They don't um they don't have their own free will, so they kind of just follow God's commands perfectly, uh the way that the natural world does, right? The way that like uh gravity does, the way that the laws of physics do, the way that animals do. At least like in Islamic theology, they're all considered Muslim in the sense that they are submitted to God's will perfectly. Like there there's not even a possibility of of uh of uh moving outside of that. Uh human beings are not like that. Human beings um can direct themselves to some extent. Uh you know, it gets kind of complicated when you consider things like, well, God created them, God created all their conditions and all that kind of stuff that determines a lot of the ways they behave and stuff, but that's a that's a separate discussion. But for for this, I think part of it is that we're supposed to come to understand what we are as well, you know? So if, if the question is like, well, why isn't, why aren't things the way that I would want them to be? Or why aren't the way things that, why aren't things the way that, um, I think they, they should be in terms of like, well, God should just kind of stop all this and all that. Um, I, I think that's almost part of the point, right? Like that's almost why we were created is, is sort of this, you know, God, um, Don referred to it as like an educative process. I think that's a that's a key thing to understand and we may not fully comprehend why it's being done the way that it's being done like why can't he just like matrix you know like just throw this knowledge in our head and we just download everything and get it from the get-go maybe there's there's a reason for that right in fact there has to be a reason for that from like my you know from a religious perspective I think you have to believe that um but it's not necessarily something we can just suss out, you know. Mm. I think maybe you have to get to the end before you, that really becomes clear. I don't know. Uh, I, I think that, like, uh, the thing here, though, with this is that if it's an edu- educative process, I think that that's it, that kind of makes sense. And then you can kind of get into some maybe liberal theory of education or something where you're like, well, you know, you need the freedom to, you know, m- make mistakes and kind of bring it into your actual being so it becomes like a habitus kind of thing. Like it's like you, you actually need to, you know, you, you have to have the freedom to to dip into evil or make, you know, not perform to be able to actually, you know, build yourself into a moral being capable of, you know, making uh, good choices and all that kind of stuff and attuning yourself to God in different ways. Uh, like that, that, that kind of makes sense. But then it's kind of like, uh, that sort of educative process still has like a developmental sort of model to it where it's like you're developing, you know, for something that is like some sort of plan, like, or, or some sort of outcome that God requires. It's almost like as if God has like a HR department and he needs certain souls to be in certain <laughs> condition or something. And this is the way, the way to do it or something like, it's like, why would, why does he need souls or something like that kind of thing? Or, you know, that, that kind of, that's the issue with it. But so it, it, it's kind of like it makes sense in that level. It's like, OK, well, we have to. And I mean, it even makes sense really in a kind of silly, trivial level where you're like, well, yeah, you're just you're just like abstracting from nature where we obviously try to develop ourselves in different ways and stuff. Um, but anyways, I, I, I think I think that that's the, the problem there, though, is that like you can't. Uh, if If it's educative, then it's like. It, it's it's first for some functioning and then you're like well what is the functioning 
of humans after they're educated, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a, a, a trap you want to avoid is thinking that God needs us for something, right? Uh, God doesn't need anything, you know? He, he creates because he's, that's just part of his, it's one of his names. He's, he's the creator. He, he created us cause he loves us. Like, so in the end, this is all for our, our benefit somehow. But then, so, then, sorry, but to interrupt, but then it's, uh, then, then that kind of negates the rest of the arguments because it's like, uh, if there's no reason, if you're saying there's no actual, so if, if, if God is sufficient in some way that he doesn't need to create anything, I mean, uh, it's just pure generosity. Then there's no, there's mm-hmm. no, there's no educative functioning. There's no, there's no reason why someone has to be a certain, it's just like a pure gift. It's like, okay, well then there doesn't really need, like, why would there be a judgment then? Like, why would there be, you know, like, unless you get into this thing where you just have to say, those are just really, really abstract metaphors that we can't understand. And then eventually I think you have to kind of take a step back and say, I don't know, but the fact that it's educative makes sense because it's being to explain it in this and this way, but doesn't necessarily actually apply to, you know, it, it, you know, we we just don't know at the end of the day. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think ultimately that's the attitude that you should always have with sure. any kind of discussion like this. There's a there's a concept in Islam that I think kind of helps me to understand this, which is like the idea of God's banquet, and that it's it's you know it, this comes from like medieval period and stuff. So it's like a like a king has this great banquet and he invites everybody to come just to enjoy right so you're called to the banquet and it's it's up to you to decide to go to the banquet and what what the banquet is is to um to enjoy all these like divine qualities that he has given us the ability to either cultivate or simply act upon you know certain things are going to be easier for other people are going to come more naturally than than they are for others right everybody's different in when it comes to this sort of stuff um so it's really just up, up to us to decide, yeah, that sounds good. I, I want I want to go, right? Mm-hmm. So in in that sense, I think that kind of maintains that generosity of creation and all that. But it also sort of allows for that, you know, we can call it educative or we can call it um, enjoyment, you know, where uh, this is a place where we can... Um, prepare for the the next world and uh you know in a sense of like uh discovering certain things um see now the the preparing the preparing for the next world is is not something that i necessarily want to push back against but Mm -hmm. when i think about and you know again maybe tie this back to to evil what is the good of which evil is a privation um it is i think uh in at least theistic religion the good that's been revealed has to be a good which is attainable in this world uh so what whatever your view of the supreme good is and i think you know i think christians and muslims and, and jewish people at least in this tradition wouldn't have too much trouble in reaching a broad agreement on this. Um, instances yeah, of the supreme good, not the whole good, maybe, but but uh, 
the, uh, there are, for instance, perfect justice in human relationships. You know that uh, with a, a, a which 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 uh, reflect a, say an agape, you know, like a, a agape, you know, the, the 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 sort of the divine love, which yeah, um, you know, Christian philosophers are so fond of talking about. Um, this this is this is achievable, right? So this this educative process, you don't necessarily. I don't think you have to see it exclusively as this mysterious thing, which is going to be uh, attained after we die. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I think this view, I think the ontology of good and evil, which I, you know, which we've been talking about, which I would personally want to defend, is it's not indifferent to the question of the next life, but it has a lot to say about this one and what we can do in it. Um, and I don't know. On this point, I always think of uh, there's this passage in Luke where Jesus says, "The kingdom of heaven is among you." This seems to me to be quite an important statement for Christians, of course, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people won't say, oh, where is it? You know, um, let me see if I can find the um, the right verse. Right. Yeah. When asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God will not come with observable signs, nor will people say, look, here it is or there it is. For you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And uh, mm-hmm. this at least, I mean, this isn't saying forget about the afterlife, right? We, we, we need to create a heaven on earth. But it does seem to be suggesting that, you know, a theistic view of the good should be one which says it is, it is, it is one which you can realize uh, in your day-to-day, uh, in, in, in your daily life. Now, the problem of evil yeah. is that, and this is, this is something that, you know, uh, is I think an important part of a religious worldview is that evil seems to be very deep and very entrenched because I mean, the view of evil, which I, which I think you, you, you need to have is not one which says there, there are people which are inherently evil. What, what this view of evil says is that the lack of the good is, can, can run very deep. Um, it doesn't seem to matter how good people want to be. We seem to be stuck in a situation where um, evil and suffering is, a, is an almost permanent feature of human existence. Um, so even though it can be realized in some narrow cases, when you look at the broad sweep of you know history, when you look at the world as it is, it's, it seems to be something that's very, very difficult to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that religion therefore needs to be understood as doing is helping us cope with that fact. And you're not going to be able to cope with that fact if you have uh, a view of good and evil where it's something that you could just easily fix, you know, mm-hmm. where people are going to, where people can just decide to be better. And it's, I don't yeah. think it's going to help you cope with it if you think, well, we can't do anything about it in this world. We have to wait till we die, right? or we have to wait till we're resurrected. That is not, that's not a, that's, that is, um, that can't be the religious view of evil, or it shouldn't be. Because it puts you at odds with the world, it doesn't. It doesn't help you deal with it. You know, you're not going to realize the kingdom of heaven. You know, in your own life, if that's your view. So, I mean, I think there are good religious reasons for not overemphasizing the next life mm-hmm. um, when you're trying to deal with this. I mean, I don't know. I tie myself up in knots thinking about this. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. I, I hope I haven't. Uh 
been doing this like overemphasizing no, the, no, no, no. the afterlife. That's not that's not what I'm trying to do, but I I do think it's like a salient factor, right? Like it's a it's a emphasis that is that it has a lot of importance in a religious worldview, and I, I think mm. you know it does kind of need to. Uh, I hear what you're saying 100, percent and I agree, but um, it, it it is uh, something to, that needs to be taken into consideration. You know, that's true. But I mean, what I do think is is true is that we're not going to be who we are in the next life. You know, however, the next life is understood. Uh, I mean, you do have to have an understanding of the next, at least in Christianity. I mean, the, the talk about eternal life is something that you can't just sort of liberally hand wave away, right? You you know, you have to you have to have right. a way of understanding it. Um, but uh, I mean, for for, for 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 me, the main question is, and it's you know, I may be dangerously close to Greek philosophy if you're a you know a conservative Christian, but it's what is the what is what is the good for a, a particular kind. What is the what is what is it that constitutes human flourishing? What what is what does it what does it mean for a human being to be fulfilled? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, re- I mean, a religious view of fulfillment is also going to have an overarching view of fulfillment, in which you know the the good for the good for human beings is just part of an overall good. But um, I don't really know how to talk about say anything sensible about you know what an overall good might be. Um, So, I mean, I think this view keeps, it preserves uh, an, a, a kind of that the, the educative process that you were talking about before, Don, but it makes it more, um, you know, it grounds it a little bit more. Sure. You know, this, 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 is, this is why I sort of like uh, the, the, you know, making the Aristotelianism a little bit more overt, at least in my thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's about ethical flourishing instead of some sort of, supernatural flourishing or something maybe in some way so yeah 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 and i think that um what uh the 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 view and and this gets back to the view of of evil that you outlined right at the very beginning tom is uh that's not it's not supernatural that's not that's not a view of evil which has involves any supernatural commitments and it's not um a view of it doesn't imply or entail a view of good which which requires any supernatural commitments but then again i think you can get a bit too hung up also when i say you i mean in general um and i by the way i didn't before think you were overemphasizing the next life stuff or anything but i saw it as an excuse to say something and i selfishly just like <laughs> no, no worries barreled ahead with it and um you know implicated you in something i didn't mean to but uh the um the i mean like the metaphysics the, the metaphysics is like if you sit down and actually think about what like the metaphysics of, of, of the next life is, you find that you can't really, I mean, you can't think straight. It's something you can't think straight about. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there's why, I mean, so, I mean, you, you put it this way. I mean, why does belief in an afterlife for so many, does, why does it seem to entail there to be, why does it, why does it seem to require like a, a non-physical, a non-physical realm? Or why does it require, like you know, non-physical properties? And then you have the, the the straightforwardly scientific question, which is, you know, what is matter, right? Um, and you know, you look at any of these issues for more than ten seconds, and you realize that our the ordinary categories of judgment we have are completely, completely uh, incapable of grasping these questions. 
Um, and that's one reason why I think a lot of the sort of the supernatural metaphysical stuff can be a bit, can, can sort of like draw us away from what religion really is, is doing, which is telling us what the good is, what the, 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 the end for, uh, for, a you know, religion tells me at least what the, 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 uh, the, the, the right, the end of the, the telos of a human being is, you know, what, what is mm-hmm. it that makes us flourish? I think it's revealed that for me. So in that, in that sense, I am. I am religious, and I don't. I don't really feel the need to make any supernatural commitments, or even think about it enough to say what a supernatural commitment even would be. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Just on the issue of like how uh, how tied up in knots thinking about this stuff can get you, I, I think um, y- you know there's a danger in that, in that it can kind of keep you away from like the actual point of it all you know like you you kind of get so lost in these kind of questions that the ethical commitments that you should have like in your day-to-day kind of get lost Mm -hmm. uh there's this story of a a, a, like a very famous islamic theologian who's walking in the streets and he's known for you know having so many different proofs of for the existence of god and all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. And an old woman stops him and says, oh, so you're the one with all these proofs for the existence of God, huh? And he goes, oh, yes, that's me. I, I've heard <laughs> many things like that. And she's like, oh, with so many proofs, you must have, you know, so many doubts that you need to conquer. Yeah. And, uh, and she just kind of walks <laughs> yeah. on. And then the theologian is like, uh, you know, he makes a prayer and asks that we all have the the faith of old women. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the danger of philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Philosophy is, yeah. is, is very dangerous. The, uh... Yeah, I've just been thinking about like how, you know, people will often kind of mock uh, religious people for having like these very simple minded kind of ideas about heaven or about God and things like that. But I think there's like uh, some functionality in that, that in that at a certain point, it's all just sort of like guesswork, like you can't really say, I mean, maybe it's interesting to people who kind of have an inclination towards like pondering those kinds of questions. But at a certain point, it, it, you know, that's not what really matters. That's not what God doesn't want you to kind of answer these riddles or something, right? God wants you to act a certain way, you know, like we know very clearly what are, well, it gets maybe not super clearly, it gets complicated, but we have a general sense of what God wants, right? Like what's, how to be good, how to avoid being evil, all this kind of stuff. Um, as you've been saying, that's like the one of the main functions of religion, right? Is to kind of keep people, you know, to teach people to to do right and to avoid wrong and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I just think that for a lot of people, having a really simple understanding of these more esoteric kind of metaphysical concepts, it kind of helps to ground them in the reality of like, okay, well, you know, when you go to hell, you're burning and it sucks. When you go to heaven, there's like nice fruits and like everything's nice all the time and all this kind of stuff. So that sounds pretty good. So I'll just remind myself of that to keep on track. You know, I, I think there's like a very practical kind of purpose to that. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Like it's almost as if like writing L on your left hand and R on your right hand, whatever. Like <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You, you, you're like, well, I got the basics down. I got my directions. That's what I need. So yeah. Yeah. sure. I, I mean, you know, people, uh, you know, there, there's so many different people and God wants to save all of them, right? Like God will, <laughs> like created sure. all of them out of, 
love, right? Yeah. So like it's it's supposed to be for everybody. So it needs to kind of be able to bo- be boiled down to something very simple. And I like to think that the most kind of like uh, uh, like simple minded take on religion or the most simple minded kind of understanding of religion and the most you know uh, like convoluted philosophically minded take somehow can cohere like that they're they can both be true at the same time and that that's you know maybe the people at either ends of the spectrum won't be able to see it that way but yeah. god can look at it and be like yeah you you guys got the right idea well, let's i mean let's let's put it this way in um the sermon on the mount um jesus didn't stand up and say uh god is uh the great god is greater than that which can be imagined you know you can't imagine anything greater than god so by law of logic god has to be real because you know existence is a property of greatness or whatever you know something can't be great and not exist so and god is greater than anything else that can be imagined so therefore god exists you know that's not what that's not the kind of thing he was saying Right. Yeah, he said, the, you know, the first thing he said is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And that, you know, I mean, he's that's not that's not arcane theology. It's not philosophy. It's not scholasticism. Um, and then, you know, you get it. But it, it had a one of the things that I love about that passage is um, it, it, it talks about what a huge impact it had on the people who are listening. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, stu- you know, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's something I always like to dwell on when I read that, you know, that people were astonished when they heard him speak. I mean, part of that is to do with the assumptions that they had about, you know, the law that Jesus claimed to be coming in fulfillment of. But, you know, I think it still has the power to, to move people. And it's, it's not because it's clever. Um, you know, when you, when you hear the phrase, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, you know, you can dismiss it as saying, it's like, oh, well, that's just, you know, religious you know, it's just, the, the, you know, we, we're supposed to believe that there's some afterlife where the meek will inherit the earth. But if you, t- if you try to think about it seriously, it's a very, you know, it's, it's, it makes you want to shut up. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's a theme. These, these ideas run through our, our culture, our civilization very, very deeply. I mean, when, when Marx was saying that the proletariat was going to be forged through suffering and then would deliver a, 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 a utopia of equality, I know he didn't use these words because he, you know, he decided that for whatever reason that he thought it would be better if he presented everything as a science. But I mean, he was saying that, the, I mean, he was essentially saying the meek will inherit the earth. You know, the, the, proletari- mm-hmm. the proletariat are going to be the agents who, um, who unify you know, philosophy with, uh, with reality, mm-hmm. you know, the most despised and the proletariat had the characteristics they did because they suffered so much. I mean, I think, you know, you can have all the, you know, the technical definitions of what a working class person is and like, you know, bitch and moan about them on Twitter all day, but the proletariat in the Marxist worldview were what they were because they suffered. And, uh, in that suffering, they were going to be the agents of, uh, equality. They were going to end class division. Uh, that is, a um, you know, I'm not saying that's what makes Marxism a religion. I mean, I kind of think it is, but for different reasons. But uh, that's the um, that's the uh, that's the influence of Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. It made it made that kind of thinking possible, for sure. Um, and uh, Nietzsche tried to put put it back in the box, and it sent him 
it sent him around the bend. It made him crazy in the end. So don't try and put it back in the, you know, don't try and put it back in the box. Sure. That's how you get syphilis folks. Yeah. Sorry. So I know, I know talking about a minor Muslim prophet like this is, um, you know, you have to be <laughs> careful about it, but prophet, not prophet, but what, what, what would the proper term be? Uh, um, oh, perhaps Wally, yeah. if you're going to go that far, a friend of God, friend of God. Okay. That's good. Well, we're all friends of God, aren't we? <laughs> on this show, well, that, on this show that, at least that, that has some technical sense uh meaning to it but uh yeah I, I, not I not, not to me which is why i can say it without going to hell <laughs> yeah um did we want to maybe have concluding thoughts on this kind of stuff i'm starting to run out of steam mentally i think that my uh big thinking cap i don't know i'll just reach this limit for the day or whatever but um you know i really appreciate the conversation but i just thought kind of wrap things up a bit oh yeah yeah well um yeah so i i feel like my idea you know evil uh is privation you know that's the ontology of evil that you you have in a, in a theistic religion and the consequences of this are worth thinking about i guess <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um I mean, I, I agree with that. Uh, that That's like the understanding that I have come to as well. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else I really have to add. <laughs> sure. uh, I, I feel like, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of this stuff sort of goes over my head a little bit. And I don't know that I fully grasp like the gravity of some of these questions that people raise. I think a lot of times it's... Uh, it's also just the case that the people raising them aren't doing the best job of like, you know, it's like, well, why did God create, uh, you know, bone cancer in kids or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I, that that's not like a compelling argument to me. So I don't know. We didn't really get into specifics about that kind of stuff, but I assume most people listening to this are kind of like they, you know, probably have their own answers to those kinds well, of things. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Yeah, for me, that's, I mean, oh, sorry. Go on. No, no, I'm sorry. You go. I've, I've talked enough. Um, I guess, yeah, for for me, uh, I mean, I I, I tend to be very critical of my own arguments a lot of the time, like in my head. I'm just like always thinking of like the weakest point and like trying to attack it in different ways and stuff. Uh, Pretty much everything that I do, but also uh, political arguments and stuff in theology. And it's funny because with this kind of thing, uh, with problem and evil and stuff, it's like at such a high level that I start like ping ponging, you know, like in my head. I'm like... I go, that's a weak point, that's a weak point, that's a weak point, that's a weak point. Like yeah, yeah, Between yeah. all the different like things where I'm like, okay, so uh, it's educative, but then do you have autonomy? Do you have free will? No. Okay. And I'm like bouncing around. And uh, so while we've been talking, that's, that's happened too. I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, but there's that there. And then there's this, this. And uh, um, I don't know. I think, that, I think that makes it worthwhile thinking through though, because it's like, at least gives you like a ability to like sort of kick the tires of what's going on kind of thing, you know, like know the basic framework of how you are approaching religion and things like that. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's uh, yeah, for sure. It's funny. Like there's that there's a problem. I mean, one of the, the starkest philosophical uh, statements of um, one of the problems and one of the rare instances where I think philosophy can actually be clarifying is the, the Euthyphro d- uh, dilemma, which um, Plato um, puts in Socrates' mouth, where 
they're just they're trying to work out what piety is and the question is um uh do the gods love if if, if take any pious act do the gods love it because it's pious or is it pious because the gods love it and you don't have to assume paganism in order for that question to be you know pertinent it's it's i think something that you know theist, theists should spend some time thinking about and i think the obvious answer is god loves it because it is pious and i for me that's a fairly clear answer why it's correct can send me on the same ping-ponging back and forth that you very mm-hmm. vividly described on but uh, <laughs> i've not really left in any doubt that that's the right answer and i am complete i feel exactly the same way about the other side that's that's kind of funny to me ah see now this is and that's where you can have actually interesting discussions but here's i'll maybe i'll finish and i, and I promise i won't because you know i've been babbling a little bit at times because it's this is you know this is a difficult subject matter but um I was reading some, te- I was listening to some testimony of Holo- uh, from Holocaust survivors. Um, and uh, there was a, a, one of the, the men who was talking, uh, who had been forced to work as a capo, was um, recalling a, a rabbi uh, who knew that he was being, um, who was, you know, knew that he was, what was going on. You know, he'd, he'd worked it out. He wasn't in denial. And this person said he called the rabbi crying out, saying, God, what they're doing is a crime against you. This is a crime against you. Show them your power. And then he said, and nothing happened. And the rabbi said, I don't believe in God anymore. Now, this could be something that he misremembered. I mean, it's, I don't think it really matters, right, if he's, if he's mm-hmm. reported it exactly. This was significant for him. And I think um, it's, well, talk about piety. I think it's impious for me to have a strong view on this, to try and analyze what this person was going through, because it is so extraordinarily horrendous. It really does, um, you know, go beyond any understanding. But the idea that there was a a sort of a crime, someone was breaking one of God's laws, someone was uh, doing something that God had said you cannot do, and that God should therefore show his power and stop it. This, I think, is an understanding of God, which we, sh- I don't, I, we shouldn't have it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. one of the reasons we shouldn't have it is because this view of God deprived the rabbi of, I think, one of his most precious, and as he would have probably understood it, one of the most precious things in his life, which was faith and trust in God. And he was, he was deprived of it in the most evil way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want there to be any odd ideas. It was the, it was, it was the Nazis who deprived him of that. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying he made some intellectual mistake, but listening to that made me think very, very carefully about the kind of God I believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can find yourself in very, very, in a very dark place. Uh, if you've got, you know, you, you don't, you, you, you don't, this is, this is something that maybe it's sometimes worth tying yourself up in knots about sometimes. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate the conversation. I don't know. This is a, it's a, it, it's good. We kind of, again, it's one of those things where you just kind of, you, I don't know, you, you wrench a bit around kind of thing, trying to figure yeah. out, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's good. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Thanks. All right. Well, and to anyone who's still listening, well done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Freddie. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, all right, guys. So if you enjoyed this episode of You Can't Win, you can get another one by subscribing to our Patreon, and you'll get that as well as access to our Discord. If you want to send us anonymous questions that we usually answer at the end of our episodes, you can do that by going to the Twitter account at You Can Win Pod, and you'll find a link to the Curious Cat posted there. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.